0: So, writes Peter, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly we will leave the reading of God's word there for a few moments. We're going to look at that passage, so have it handy in front of you, um, because we'll refer to that as we go through. This talk is the last one in our series, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. This is mark number nine. And the ninth mark of a healthy church is biblical church leadership. Biblical church leadership. Um, I think it's important that it's sort of uh, in there. Uh, for reasons that we'll see as we go through. Now, much of the topic of discussion tonight is on the subject of elders, eldership. But really, this will apply to anything or anybody who is in any form of leadership responsibility uh, within the church. So it's quite a broad application. All right. Um, Although, that said, when you read the New Testament passages like the one we've just read, uh, it seems to talk mostly about eldership, elders. Um, so they are indispensable to the local church, no matter what other types of leaders that we may have from time to time. So, as we go through the passage, we're going to ask ourselves, number one, what is biblical church leadership? What is it? I'm just trying to describe it a little better, and this passage is really great at helping us understand it. Number two, we're going to ask ourselves, who are biblical church leaders? Like a job description kind of thing. And thirdly and finally, we're going to think, again, in fairly broad terms, how do we practice biblical church leadership all right so what is it who is it and how do we do it so let's look down first of all at the first couple of verses of our passage what is biblical church leadership we have here a few verses from a letter that peter the apostle peter wrote to various churches It wasn't to one specific church but to a whole group of them uh, when you read the rest of the letter you realize that they are suffering for their faith And Peter writes this letter to encourage them that even in the hardship of life, in the sufferings they are going through, particularly when they're suffering for being a Christian, for loving Jesus, Peter wants to remind them not to lose hope because in Jesus there is always hope. No matter how bad the situation is in life, there is always hope of a bright future because of what he's done. And so Peter wants to unpack this great hope that he has. Uh, that we have in Jesus but as he goes on to the subject of suffering he turns to the elders of the church of of these various churches that he is writing to because as elders and as leaders of the church if anyone's going to be suffering it's going to be those who are leading the church not because they're leading the church internally but because of the external um, pressure from from outside Okay, so he wants to address the elders of the church specifically. And you'll you notice that he, he considers himself to be an elder as well. Because he says, I exhort elders among you as a fellow elder. You know, so this is like one, one man talking to another. He's not coming and, and addressing them as some sort of uh, pope like figure or some sort of, uh, you know, I'm a really important apostle and I, I'm going to te- talk to. No, he, he's sharing this as one person who speaks to another, someone who is experienced someone who knows what it's like and he's simply passing that on uh, to the other elders in these other churches. So he says as a fellow elder as a as a fellow witness uh, to the sufferings of of uh, of Christ he saw it all by the way don't remember that don't forget that he he saw Jesus what he went through dying on a cross uh, all that stuff he saw that and also, he says, a fellow partaker in future glory. So, you know, he's, he's pointing forward as well. But he's speaking to someone who's been through it and wants to share this to the church. Um, but he's addressing elders. And don't forget, it's elders, plural. It's not just one elder. Uh, when you look at other passages in the Bible, uh, such as Acts 14, Titus 1, uh, the Bible's always talking uh, in the plural, plural uh, about elders, about leaders, there's always a group of them, never just one per church, you know. but it's a group of, of, of elders. In, in, for example, in Acts 14, uh, Paul is planting the church. It says then, uh, when they had appointed elders in every church, with fasting and prayer, they committed them to the Lord, and then they moved on. So there's a group of them appointed in every church. All right. um, we can see this elsewhere as well. But the, the important thing I want to drive home here is that it's a group. There's a whole bunch. So what is biblical church leadership? a group of elders in every church. Every healthy church has elders. Um, Look down at verse 2, though, because that's not the only term he uses to describe the leaders of the church. He says, shepherd the flock of God. He talks later on in verse 4 about the chief shepherd, which is Jesus, and we'll we'll come to look at that in a minute. But he refers not only to elders as elders, but also shepherds. That's where we get the term pastor from from the, the latin word meaning shepherd shepherd the flock of god so a pastor in the in the eyes of the old testament sorry new testament is an elder an elder is a pastor sometimes we use it differently depending on the type of church you come from we have pastors and elders but really in peter's mind they're one and the same all right um it's interesting though i i, I, I we don't know for sure uh, but you know the, the, the moment when uh, before Jesus was, was tried before Pilate, and he was taken into the, the the chief priests' courtyard, and Peter, the one who wrote this letter many years earlier, was in there warming his hands. It was it was cold night, and uh, the, the the servant girl said to Peter, while well, Jesus was being tried and you know and questioned uh, somewhere else in that vicinity the servant girl said to Peter, aren't you the one who follows Jesus, the Nazarene? And he denied that he ever knew Jesus. And then again, Jesus was, uh, sorry, Peter was asked by someone else, aren't you the one who followed Jesus? Weren't you with him? And he denied Jesus a second time. And then a third time, the same person asked again, no, 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 I'm pretty sure I saw you with Jesus. Weren't you one of his followers? And he denied him three times. And then Jesus went to the cross on his own, completely abandoned, but then as we know from the Bible, he rose on the third day. So picture the scene then, several days later, when Peter, who's a fisherman, and his friends were out fishing on the lake, and they have no luck fishing at all, they've been fishing all night, didn't get any catch at all, and then someone says to them, from the shore, put your nets on the other side of the boat and, and, and uh, you'll be successful. And they thought to themselves, well, that's probably not true because we've been fishing all night and how can we possibly be successful? But anyway, they did it. They thought, well, what have we got to lose? So they put their nets on the other side of the boat. And then the Bible tells us in, in John 21 that they had such a haul of fish that it almost sunk the boat. They had to call another boat along to come and help them bring it ashore. And so they come back to the shore with this massive haul of fish. And they realized that the person who said, put your nets on the other side was Jesus. And he had a barbecue going and they had breakfast with him jesus who had died and and rose again and there he was having a barbecue with his disciples and then the bible tells us he sort of addresses peter maybe he takes him to one side just to have a little quiet word with him and he says to peter do you love me peter and peter says yes of course lord i love you and he says to peter pastor my people he says again, a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you, Lord. And he says, tend my sheep. A third time, he says again, do you love me? And Peter, who's getting a bit maybe upset that he's not communicating well or whatever, a third time, yes, Lord, you know I love you, he says. Look after my sheep, he says. See, three times Jesus was denied by Peter, but three times Peter was reinstated again and each time he was told to shepherd the people pastor the church look after the sheep and so you can see in this letter here peter probably with this in the back of his mind thinks yes i'm an elder and i'm sharing with the people with the churches how to pastor the church how to look after the flock because jesus told me to do that and i'm going to tell the church to do that as well and so that's what we see in these verses Okay, so we've got a rough idea of, of starting to see what biblical church leadership looks like. Um, let's get a bit more specific. Verse two, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We don't have that many shepherds who live in, in Belfast. We're in a city, but, but, but we don't have to go too far outside to, to, to see people who look after sheep. So we have a rough idea what shepherds do. Uh, shepherds are all about serving their sheep, aren't they? They're about protecting them from enemies like foxes and wolves. We don't have wolves here, but that kind of thing. Shepherds are to try and tend the sheep, to look after them, to feed them, to to lead them to good pasture where they can feed and lie down and be in peace. That's what shepherds are to do and and, and Peter, Peter is saying in the same way the leaders of your church, the shepherds, the pastors of your church are to lead the church, lead the people to serve them, to protect them, to look after them, to guide them, to bring them to peaceful pastures so they may lie down and feed and be nourished. That's the job of the elder. How do we do that? There's lots of different ways but just like a shepherd would look after his sheep We feed the sheep. Uh, Number one, we can feed them by teaching them. There's another uh, episode in in the book of Mark where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Remember, they're up on a bit of a mountainside. Jesus is teaching them. Time ticks away. Suddenly, they realize, or the disciples realize, there's about 5,000 people here, and these people, they're they're away from home. They have no food. And it said that Jesus, uh, when he saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so when he saw them, what did he do? Did Jesus entertain them? Did he tell a few jokes? Uh, Did he give them a a hot air, feel-good message just to sort of boost them a little bit and then send them on home? No, he didn't do any of that stuff. It says here that he began to teach them many things when he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. So the first role of the elder, of the pastor, of the shepherd of the church is to teach the sheep to feed them God's word. And that's kind of what we're doing at the moment in some ways. I'm feeding you God's word. By opening it up and explaining it, God's word is like being fed. When you look at the job descriptions of an elder in, in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, both of them teach that the elder or the pastor of the church or the pastors of the church are to be able to teach, to give instruction in sound doctrine. So the first thing that we do as elders, the first way we act is to feed the sheep. Uh, the other thing we are to do is to pray uh, for the, the flock, to pray for our people. Um, we feeding our people by the word of God and, 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 and uh, the Holy Spirit uses that to, to grow his people. And yet that's entirely a work of, of God. It's not something that the pastors, the, the shepherds are doing. Um, they're, they're, they're feeding the word and they're just hoping, well, they're doing more than that, they're praying uh, that Jesus will use that to grow the flock. So not only are we feeding them the word of God, but praying for them, the two really important things. Um, there's lots of other things as well in the job description for an elder. Uh, equipping the saints is another another term that Paul uses. Um, he says in uh, the letter to Ephesians, he, uh, he gave the church, that is Jesus, gave the church apostles, uh, gave them prophets, evangelists, and pastors, so that they may equip the saints for works of ministry and build up the body of Christ. What he's saying is that elders, leaders, pastors of a church are to feed the sheep, to pray for them, but also to equip them so that they are the ones who are being built up. They are the ones who are doing the ministry. Uh, The job of the pastor and the the elder is to equip the people to do that. And they're to care, fourthly they're to care. Pray, feed them with the word, equip them for ministry and to care for them. Um, Just like a shepherd cares for the sheep. This is just a brief sketch, by the way, but you can start to see, can't you, why uh, this is a mark of a healthy church. Uh, If you have men like this who are leading the church lovingly, um, giving themselves to feeding the sheep, to praying for them, to caring for them, to building them up, to equipping them, you can see why a church like that will start to become more and more healthy, well-served, well-looked-after. So we've thought in very broad terms what is biblical church leadership, but let's try and nail down a little more specifically now who are biblical church leaders? All right? What are these men like? What is the character of these men? So let's look down at our text again. Um, Paul gives, sorry, Peter gives these sort of uh, pairs of descriptions, if you like. In verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, you know, pastor your people. How do you do that? Uh, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock okay so when we think of the question who are biblical church leaders we see these three pairs of things here first of all these are men who are to lead the church not under compulsion but willingly that means they shouldn't do it because they feel like they have to, but because they want to, because that's their calling, because that's what, uh, the way God has set them up and wired them up and gifted them to do so. So they are to do so not under compulsion, but willingly. Sometimes uh, elders and leaders end up in a position that they're in, not because they want to, but because everybody else wanted them to, because they're sort of by popular demand. Sometimes they don't want to offend people by... By saying no, so they just let themselves go forward and yet their heart's not in it. But according to Peter here, you can't be a leader of a church, an elder or a pastor, grudgingly. You can't be driven into it by some other force. It's got to be something, according to Peter, that's deep in your heart that is part of a calling. You're driven to, willingly, voluntarily. Paul says somewhere else, um, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that is elder, He desires a noble task, something to aspire to. So firstly, biblical church leaders are to be willing in what they're doing. It sounds silly to say that, but that's what Peter's getting at. So not under compulsion, but willingly. But he also says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Because you see, some elders, some leaders of churches, some pastors will go in to their role, to to leading in the church for what they can get out of it for greedy gain, you know. sometimes for financial gain because they'll be well paid or they'll have their hand on the the purse of the church and have a bit of money on board. But it's not always about money, you know, the shameful gain. Sometimes uh, people can take positions of leadership within the church for the the influence, for the respect that they'll get. Um, Maybe it just sounds good and looks good to be a pastor of a church or an elder of the church. Maybe the glory of the office The prestige among other Christians to say, yes, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder. But Peter says, no, you should not take this position for shameful gain. But instead, you should serve eagerly simply for the pleasure of being an elder of a church, a shepherd under Jesus. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And the third pair that we see here, not domineering, but living as an example not lording it over people not pressing down on them not telling them everything they should do and believe like you're some sort of dictator but instead leading them by example by showing them what a life looks like given to the glory of God remember uh, James and John come to Jesus one day and we see this in Mark chapter 10 and they want the best seats in the kingdom of God they know that Jesus is a, something big that something important is about to happen they don't know what just yet, but they go to him secretly and they say to him, Lord when your kingdom comes let me and my brother, James and John let us have the best seats, let us sit at your left and your right hands and Jesus says no, 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 you've got it all wrong that's not how it works in my kingdom it's not about the position of responsibility or authority it's not about the position of power That's, that's what the world is like, that's how they operate, they're all about you know, getting up the ladder, lording it over people. But he says, not so with you. That's not how it goes in my kingdom. Instead, Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever must be first must be slave of all. Then he says, look, I am the son of man and I've come to you, not for you to serve me, but for me to serve you. And so in the same way, that's how my leaders are to be. That's how my shepherds are to be. Serving other people, not leading a church so that others can serve them. Not domineering, but an example. Instead, living a life. We've seen this a bit last week, weren't we, in this idea of living your life to, to, to be able to imitate uh, what it looks like to live a life that's transformed by Jesus. That's what we should see in our leaders. So these are the kind of men who are to be biblical church leaders and again the more we go on the more we see this sort of pattern uh, this, the, the, the shape emerging Paul also writes on the qualifications for elders in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 I've referred to this already and like what Peter is saying here the most important thing about someone who is an elder or a leader in the church is the character character, character, character every time it's what that person's like it's what they're like at home It's what they're like at work. It's what they're like behind closed doors when no one's looking. That is the kind of thing that the Bible really majors on when it comes to biblical church leadership. It's all about the focus on who the elder is and what he's like rather than what he can actually do. Yes, it's important to be gifted and skilled and and all that stuff. But above all things, it is what is he like? What is his character like? By the way, I'm just going to take a few moments here because perhaps you know, as we've been going through this, um, there's one thing that's maybe come up in your mind and you're, you're wondering, why does he keep saying that? Why does he keep saying men, he? Why, why am I saying that elders are to be men? What, isn't that unfair? What, what, about, what about women? Shouldn't they be elders too? Um, so I'll just take a few moments to address that because it, it may, may be a question of yours, may not be, um, may be completely happy with what I've said so far. But, why am I only saying that the role of elder is for for men, not for women? Um, Well, the Bible has something to say about this. We'll look at that in a second. Uh, It seems to be the Bible reserves the role of eldership of a church to men, men only. Um, Maybe to you that sounds completely old-fashioned, or even slightly worse than that, oppressive. You know, that's what it was like in the old days before... um, before women were sort of freed and emancipated, and now, you know, that was back in the Bible days, but now uh, we have equality. You know, men and women can, can, can do the same job as everybody, and, and, and that's completely unfair. That's very backwards. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But when we study the Scriptures, we realize that in the realm of the church, in the realm of the family, there are some roles that are reserved for men. And likewise, there are some roles that are reserved for women. And there are some roles that both men and women can do. And this isn't necessarily a lack of gender equality in the church or a sort of backwards attitude to women. But rather, when we study the scriptures, we realize this is the way that God has set things up. And according to the Bible, it is men who are to take the spiritual lead in marriage, in their families, and in the church in the role of elders. The reason that I'm mentioning this is because the Bible stands on this point, it seems really opposite and against what our culture teaches us about the role of men and women. And that is something that's sometimes difficult to reconcile. It's at these points though, when the Bible stands so opposite and so different from what the world teaches, that we have to really understand it as clearly as possible. Because we come down to a choice. Do we go with what the world teaches is right and wrong? Or do we go with what the Bible teaches? But anyway, I haven't explained what I'm getting at here. Um, This is a bit of an aside, okay? So you can can maybe listen to the podcast again and and review this if you want. But uh, the Apostle Paul, who also writes on the role of elders in 1 Timothy 3, Uh, addresses the church and he addresses, before he gets to the role of elder he addresses the role of men and women within the church together in the church doesn't address the role of men and women out in the world but in the church how they should relate to one another and he says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12 I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man rather she is to remain quiet I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, there's two things I want to say about that little verse there. Um, This, by the way, is just a quick overview. So uh, there's much more that we can say about this. Number one, this is not a blanket ban on women being involved in public worship. Other passages in the Bible... Teach that women are expected equally as much as men to be involved in public worship, to prophesy, to pray aloud, to to be part of the gathering as much. So what we're not saying is that there's no role up here for women at all. That's not what we're saying. But what does Paul mean when he says remain quiet, that a woman should remain quiet and not teach or have authority over a man? Well, it seems to be, that don't forget this is all in the context of the local church and it's specifically about the role of teaching teaching and exercising word based authority exercising oversight which is another way of describing the role of an elder so this is more about teaching than just generally being involved in leading worship, that kind of thing but the second point I want to make here and this little aside that we're making in, in this passage is that Paul is not making some sort of arbitrary comment designed to oppress women or to annoy half the population of the church. Uh, Paul is is, uh, not reflecting his own particular culture and and we can therefore dismiss what he's saying because our own culture says something different and therefore, no, no, no. Paul says, you can look this up yourself if you want, 1 Timothy 2, he says, 4, Adam was created first, then Eve. So he's referring back to the the very first human beings, Adam and Eve. And he roots what he says about men and women in the church, not in culture, but in creation. Before culture came along, there was creation. He says, no, man, uh, mankind, humankind, were both created in the image of God, men and women, both equal in the eyes of God. However, we see in Genesis different roles. That are being assigned to men and to women and as Paul points out Adam was created first pointing to his leadership his oversight the point with Adam was that he was to shepherd his wife he was to lead her he was to lovingly serve her give himself for her protect her cherish her all the things that a shepherd is to do I'm not saying women are sheep you know but um, the idea being that he was to reflect that role, loving leadership, sacrificial submission to his wife, and she uh, was to lovingly respond in, in follow, following him. And that is reflected in marriage. That's where we get our idea of, of men leading spiritually in marriage. In the family, it's the man's role primarily, or rather his, his, his authority to, to teach and bring up the children, to fear God in partnership and together with his wife. And in the church as well. This is also reflected. And we see that in the role of eldership. But Paul doesn't end there. He doesn't say, well, Adam was created first and Eve, so therefore just get over it. He doesn't end it there either. He says, develops his teaching, and he says, not only was Adam created first, and therefore he sort of has a a leadership role in that sense, um, but he says, the woman, Eve, was deceived and became a transgressor. And as you remember from the book of Genesis, um, maybe you haven't read it and maybe you, you should. Uh, but the serpent, you know, Satan in disguise, goes to not Adam, but he goes to Eve, doesn't he? And it was her that um that took, took the fruit, believed the lie, gave it to her husband, he also sinned. And Paul again is making the point here. Um woman, the woman, Eve, deceived, was deceived, became a sinner first. Um And therefore, that perfect relationship, that perfect uh, marriage between Adam and Eve was corrupted. They were both as bad as each other, but it was worked out in different ways. And from that moment on, as you know, uh, sin came into the world and all all the disruption, all the fallout as a result of that. So anyway, Paul says, look, if you look at creation or if you look at the fall, both of them have an impact on the way the men and women relate to one another in marriage, in the family. And later on, that's applied then to, to the church as well. I realise that that there is so much more that we could say about this. It's, it's a very can be a very controversial thing within within church circles. Um, there's a lot more that we can study and read together. So I'm very happy to recommend more about that. But just want to try and anyway, as as um, briefly as I can, uh, to lay out some of the teaching here as to why it is that the role of elder is reserved for men, men only, and that seems to be where Paul is going in 1 Timothy 2 and 3. But this isn't to be taken as some sort of uh, old-fashioned controlling thing, because if this is right, if, if we're right on this, and the Bible's teaching seems to be clear, uh, that the role of elder is reserved for men, and the kind of men that we're looking for to occupy this office, this isn't just some sort of weirdo thing that we're talking about. This is actually designed by God for the flourishing of the church. That's why it's one of the marks of a healthy church, um, and so far from us just being odd and weird and really grinding against culture on this one in theory we get to offer a dramatic wonderful counterculture uh, this relationship between the elders uh, you know, the shepherds and the sheep, the flock the members of the church and if we get this right if we really uh, you know, live out the teaching of scripture here not only will, um, uh, will we be faithful to what t- scripture teaches But it's God's mechanism of flourishing of the church, of growing it, Um, having these men lovingly lead, giving their lives to serve the sheep. It's actually a beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, And yet uh, we need to to ask the Spirit to help us to understand these things in more clarity. But anyway, that's all I have to say about that just now. As I say, there's much more that can be said about it. But I just want to give you a rough idea as to why we say uh, elders are men, men only. Okay, so number one, what is biblical church leadership? Number two, why, uh, who, sorry, who are biblical church leaders? And we've just sort of uh, spent quite a lot of time looking at that. Finally, just want to sew, sew up stuff here. How do we as a church practice biblical church leadership? You can see why they've left this one to the last one, can't you? If you make this the first mark, then you've just got everybody hate, hating me for the whole thing. But uh, at least we can leave this to the last one. Um, but how do, we, how do we practice biblical church leadership? Again, a very brief sketch about what this looks like. Paul says, uh, sorry, Peter, back to Peter again. Peter says in verse 5, Likewise, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility towards one another. When it says likewise there, he is referring to something he's just said, some other model he's set up. We see that in verse 4. The chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive unfading crown, uh, unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you then live your life in response to that. Who is this chief shepherd? It is none other, of course, than Jesus Christ, who is the great shepherd. He calls himself, I am the good shepherd, you know, in, in uh, John chapter 10. And so he says, Look, we only have really one shepherd of the church, one, one, one pastor of the church, and that's Jesus. And so, elders and pastors, you know, human beings who are elders and pastors, uh, are really just standing in his place they are, they are doing his job but he is the true pastor they are sort of under shepherds under pastors you know, um, leading likewise in, in his place so how do we then practice biblical church leadership there's two things we can do number one we can identify ourselves number two we follow our leaders it's pretty much as simple as that we identify ourselves to our elders churches are to identify um, members who belong to the flock you know, it says shepherd in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. This isn't a calling for, for people to shepherd all Christians in all places for all times. That would be impossible. Do I shepherd someone from Cook Centenary? No, I don't. The, 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 the point is shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Those who are identified as belonging to, to your flock. Don't worry about other flocks. And so the, the importance of identifying ourselves, and we do that through church membership, and we looked at that a few weeks ago. But also, not only do we identify ourselves to our elders, we identify our elders to ourselves. Um, We identify men who are able to fulfill the criteria in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, here in 1 Peter 5, all that kind of stuff. Men who are obvious in their leadership, visible, stand out in their holiness. They are visible representations of people living for God. And so the the church simply affirms um, what is obvious, what we can see, that gifting, that leadership, that... Character, that humility that we see in these verses. And so we identify ourselves to our elders, our elders to ourselves, and we can do that publicly and formally, um, blah, blah, blah. We've seen that already in local church leadership. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. That's something we'll look at and flesh out as we go on. Identify them, but also follow them, because that's the next step, isn't it? Once we've identified ourselves to our elders and vice versa, the, the, the next job is to get on and, and follow them. You know, you want a good she- shepherd looking after you, and once you've got that good shepherd, you want to. Uh, follow and so um, once we have realised who our leaders are our elders, we've affirmed them, usually by a vote or by some sort of public declaration that these are the men that are worthy of imitation then we need to get on with the job myself included, of following following them voluntarily following them by the way not that we are sort of coerced or forced into following them but it says in verse 5 be subject to the elders give yourself to them Come under them. Learn from them. Ask them questions. Lean into them. Don't forget their authority is not from themselves. It is given to them by Christ through his word. And yet still we are called, myself included, to submit to our elders because when we submit to our elders, we are submitting to Christ. So we identify ourselves to our elders or our elders to ourselves. We follow them and then uh, we get on with the job of being a healthy church. That's all I'm going to say now about biblical church leadership, and there's plenty of resources that I can recommend to you, some of them dealing with some of these difficult passages, others just about the idea of eldership in general, Um, I found very helpful myself, so I'd be thrilled to recommend some things or discuss some things with you if you want. That is pretty much the end of our series now in in the nine marks of a healthy church, and and, uh, that is really effectively the seed sown. the Nine Marks have been established, and I hope that's not the end of, of us talking about them. Or, or the, you know, I hope that as we go on as a church, they will very much become established in what we're doing, uh, part of our language. And uh, of course, the aim with all this, not just today's message, but all of them and everything that's tied up with that, is so that we as Foundation Church become a healthy, fruitful church. That's what we want, isn't it? Because when we're healthy, when we're fruitful, Uh, when we start shining light more and more in our own lives and in our own community, that's when we see people being drawn to the light of Jesus. That's when we see them being transformed. That's when we ourselves are being transformed. And, And it's so difficult sometimes for churches. We go scrabbling around trying to find the right formula, the right stuff that's going to really pack a punch. But I put it to you now that these nine marks of a healthy church are not only where we start from, but really where we dig in and make this our foundational um, starting point if you like and uh, something that we we grow into uh, we believe that it's through the word of God and through the Holy Spirit that the church is growing we we, we we are the foundation church built on Christ the foundation and so these principles that we've been outlining over the last nine weeks um, we're going to start rolling out bit by bit um, as we go on uh, particularly through the summertime and into sort of the new term if you like in, in September uh, where we get to actually formally recognise our our elders, where we get to actually formally uh, covenant promise with one another to become local church members, members of this local church. Um, But we want to do that together. And so this uh, series has really just been setting that out and, and sowing that seed.